Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever this podcast may find you. It is I, as always, Gavin. And I, as always, Justin. Uh, what did we talk about today? We talked about manuals a lot. We talked about manuals and our uh, friend Coulter, like, on his quest to, like, find a car, which is what led us into manuals, because he actually asked me a question about what, you know, what led me to choose to drive an automatic, a modern automatic, instead of a modern manual when I bought my first new car, which was the Stinger. Right. Um, and Coulter, if you're down, um, if you're... You know, if you want to keep talking about your journey, uh, let us know. Yeah. But uh, we talked about manuals a lot. We talked about what cu- what current cars are being offered in manual. Uh, we've talked about Porsches because it's because I'm involved. Yeah. <laughs> I updated on my Saab a little bit because I... Uh, That's it, where the show started, actually. It, exactly. At this point, it's now not naturally aspirated anymore, even though it technically never was. But Yay. it was for a brief moment because the turbo wasn't happy. Anyways... Um, what else did we talk? I think that's kind of it. So uh, let's just head on into the Exhibition Speed podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> no. Uh, it's. Oh, it's trying. It's trying. It's a slow day for the apples. It is. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> What are you trying to herg Durga? Uh, Facebook. Oh. One. So the Zuck is being slow today? Well, no, it is just my computer because, um, you know, like the con- like if you haven't had a comp- like one of these on for a while, and then you just slowly get like, boom, notification, 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 notification. It's just like, yep. And it's trying to sit there and process all that. It's waking up. Yeah. It started off. It was unplugged for like a couple days, maybe. Okay. Um... And it started off at twenty two percent battery. Okay, so it's like, like both of us waking up. <laughs> Coffee helps with that. I heard. Yeah, cheers, bro. I know, right? I already had mine. I'm on a Pepsi now. Well, this is coffee number two for me. Okay, <laughs> nice. Um, oh, good news. Good news. Okay, so um, I had a little bit of an update on the sob, which you've already heard, but oh yeah, people on the other end of this microphone have not. Mm-hmm. So. For the past year and a half, my Saab, which is supposed to be turbocharged, has effectively been naturally aspirated. Because, for whatever reason, it it wouldn't go past base boost. I know it didn't have a leak, because not only was there no noise, but like it would sit up there right at zero. Just enough to get the turbos turning. Yeah, it would sit up there right at the zero mark. So I know mm-hmm. like everything was sealed. Vacuum. I, I checked vacuum, like checked all this stuff over the last little while, but since it hasn't been a daily, it hasn't been like priority to check it out or fix it and i even swapped out um a little valve to see if it would work and how those systems work that's the first car with an electronic boost controller they Mm -hmm. invented them um so ecu just controls fuel is all it controls because it just gets a reading from the distributor to tell where the engine is and tell tell the injectors where to fire in condition is manual because it's a distributor right boost is its own computer that has no technical link to talk to the ECU, but they react to each other. So boost controller has a little knock sensor, which is what detects knock and makes decisions on boost based on that. Sure. And then opens and closes the wastegate accordingly. So they kind of sit there and react back and forth because once that happens, then the ECU throws more fuel in, et cetera, et cetera. Actually works very well considering how old the system is and really, you know, how finicky even modern systems that can talk to each other can be. Yeah. So I had swapped out the little valve that it uses to actuate the wastegate at one point, thinking that might be the issue, because usually when those fail, there's just 
you know, you, you stuck at what's called base boost, which is zero. Right. No vacuum, but just stuck at zero. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't help. But I realized on Monday of this week that I had never checked the electrical plug that goes to that valve. By the way, this is a car that has 350 plus thousand miles. Somewhere around there, yeah. Okay. Um, and the, well, I call it the original turbo. It might as well be at this point. I, it was warrantied at like 20,000 miles. Okay. But other than that, this is... As near as makes no difference. Original Yeah. Because um, it was warrantied in 1990. <laughs> so this turbo Jesus. still has 300 and some odd thousand miles. It has it. three decades under its belt. Yes, it's still doing very well. Um, but, uh, so, I realized I hadn't checked that plug, and it's supposed to have 12 volts to it, just like everything in a car. So I pull it out and check it. It's got nothing. Okay, so that's either like the boost controller's bad or some wiring is bad. I follow the wiring or the plug. Yeah, I follow yeah. the wiring back a little bit, and inside, like the little loom that it was in, inside some shrink wrap, there was an ancient repair from God knows how long ago. My God, that a, you wouldn't probably in the nineties, probably that you wouldn't have ever seen. It might have like been something as simple as it brushed against the turbocharger which is only two inches to the left and sure shorted wiring at some point mm-hmm. and they had done this repair correct like it was crimped and shrink wrapped like it was sealed and everything it just happened forever ago and so i started wiggling it around with my multimeter attached and would occasionally get connection and once i found that repair i was like that's gotta be it and even if it's not it's only a two inch section i can cut it out and reconnect the wires and you know even if that's not the problem i'm not any worse for wear i mean we are in the weeds here with like you know the history and like the automotive repair of this car so i did that and i immediately had 12 volts back i was like you gotta be shitting me that's all this was (laughs) yet again this car despite its age and mileage and the um mainly we'll call it the troubled relationship or reputation that sobs have with some mechanics just because it's different mm-hmm. um yet again this car costs me nothing effectively for a repair right whereas if you had a similar issue like that on the audi it would have probably come with a comma oh it, it co- <laughs> co- yes the, yeah i was actually comparing parts and yes almost every Audi price comes with a comma whereas every yep. sob price maybe not even a decimal yes <laughs> yeah exactly so I put plug it back in, get it back on the road, and I drive. I'm like, oh my god, boost is back. Oh my god, the car doesn't have 100 horsepower anymore. It actually has 180, <laughs> like it's supposed to. Isn't it great? Uh, so then the secondary problem was that car parts are becoming really difficult, and that car is actually a prime example of like shit that's happened during COVID. Prior to COVID, most any part was readily available. Now, probably about. Thir- do you think this is due to COVID, or do you think this is coincidental? It's due to COVID. You think so? Reason why is because if you think about it, there, there's about mm, 20 to 30% of parts that used to be fairly readily available, even at like an O'Reilly's. You might have had to order them in, but they weren't on like the listing that now you cannot even get anymore whatsoever. Because they're just not being made? Mm-hmm. So, those, so previously, those were parts that were still in production. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. They, they weren't like left over from like 10, 15 years ago? No, I don't believe so. Because, because, like, life cycles of cars, you know, the car will be in production, say a car is in production for 10 years. Yeah. And then they'll have a life cycle after that of 15, which is adding 25 years. And if you go yeah. back to when your car was made in the late 80s. Yes. It wouldn't be surprising if it was a coincidental thing, but also it could be COVID. I have a little insider information on this because okay. I have a friend that is a manager at an O'Reilly's 
that good old Easton. Good old Easton that yes. can order parts. He's know, a friend, stuff fr- like friend that. of our friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys have been friends for what since high school? Yep, and okay. Saab buddies too. Like he has Saab, a 900 just yeah. like mine. Yeah, well, yeah. similar. Well, naturally aspirated. It doesn't have a turbo. Yeah, like how yours yours used to be. Exactly. <laughs> so he has kind of watched this precipitous drop because he has a lot of Saab friends. A lot of the Saab friends go to him to like check for parts. Sure, and because he works at O'Reilly's, and he's watched on his back catalog as these uh, aftermarket but readily in production parts have slowly gone down. And he knows that they were new because he he would see some of them like engine mounts occasionally go out of stock and come back in stock. Oh, okay. So he knows that at least some of the parts were probably directly affected with COVID because uh-huh. the way he explained it was, although he doesn't have any direct information from a vendor, like if you look at it. These are when they were looking at, you know, let, let's say like May, right after first lockdowns, stuff like that, like when everything was really hot. Mm-hmm. They have people out of work. They have material sh- starting to have material shortages, labor short, you know, like all this stuff going on. And when somebody's looking at like what parts they make, they're going to be like, okay, these are parts for. 30 plus year old cars that not a whole lot of people drive anymore Mm -hmm. that from a dead company (laughs) right yeah also that (laughs) like stacking all these things together like oh yeah we can kind of cut that out even though like at this point there's no absolutely you know r&d cost at all because these are decades old parts right it's cheap for them to make but it's also like oh we can cut those out and not really take a loss and then focus on making other things right right so he thinks that there was a lot of that because now in the past two years we've seen engine mounts be completely unobtainable uh calipers become completely unobtainable um fortunately like brakes and pads and shit share with enough that they're still good um and same with distributors and fortunately most of the like alternator and shit on that car was still gm related Oh, really? Like a, From a the lot, 80s? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of things were in the 80s. Actually, prime example is my Audi 200. Uh-huh. The, the uh, climate control unit for that was a Cadillac one. Oh, whoa. Because at the time when Audi was suffering with money, they right. were like, it was cheaper to just buy one from Cadillac yeah. than to make their own. Because Cadillac wasn't doing that great either. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they the, were cheap. GM in the 80s and 90s was making a killing off of selling parts to other companies like that. Yeah, that's interesting. So it was easy. Anyways, so fortunately, those parts and regular running gear are still available, but some of the more lost-in-the-weeds parts have become, when they were used to be very easy, have now become difficult. Huh. Engine mounts is one of those, which is where I was getting to with this. I've mentioned before, um, I've had engine mount issues quite a bit because they haven't been really made in 10 years. Um, Stock basically ran out and ran dry. So I found a dude on, um, it's called Modern Classic Saab, where he basically just makes reproduction parts or specialty parts for Saabs. And he makes a belay engine mount that what it does is it just it's just basically a big piece of aluminum that fits in the original engine mount hole. And then it uses two off the shelf PowerFlex bushings that Mm. aren't specific to it as the bushing for the engine. So what's cool is that if anything ever goes bad, you can just replace those two bushings for 40 bucks. You're back on the road. Bought one of those because my front engine mount has con like once a year I've had to replace it. And maybe you have (laughs) to, you know, replace that housing like every like what, 100K? I mean, d- yeah. depending on you know how and where you drive, mm-hmm. could be. I mean, yeah. you, you have a lot of construction going out in front of your house, so yes. you you know <laughs> who knows <laughs> might be shorter. Exactly. So, I got that and put it in last night because yeah. now that it was making full boost, when it was like a hundred horsepower, I wasn't really concerned about the bushing not being the happiest. Right. I'm not going to tear it. It out. was. It wasn't moving around that nearly as much as it would have been with boost. Yes. Yeah. It once I got the boost back, I could feel the engine shifting around. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's time to do that. So I bought yeah. that and then. 
really 175 bucks for a custom-made part like that? It's really not bad. No, not at all. If that was anything Audi-related, times that by five. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Uh, actually, um, well, with the exception... Four, maybe? Yeah. Maybe 4X? Yeah. Um, depends on the Audi, because my older one shared so many engine mounts with different things that they're pretty cheap, like, they're... But still, more expensive than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got... It was quite the adventure last night our friend of the show Carson with the R32s was also over helping me change that engine mount out. Oh, cool. Which theoretically is pretty easy because everything's accessible in there. You use this word, theoretically. Yes. Mount came with no instructions, but like it's pretty straightforward. There's not much to screw up, Mm -hmm. really. Um, And he provides like a little rubber washer even to just like hold the bolt in place while you get it in place so you can screw the nut on and nothing like the bolt doesn't fall out, stuff like that. Put it all in... And just things are just not fitting quite right. And the engine's sitting a little high. I'm like, this is just so weird. And that, even that happens with a lot of custom stuff, though. Like, or mm-hmm. even, like, high-production, like, exhaust systems for cars. Like, sometimes they don't quite, like, if there's, like, a molding on, like, a rear bumper of a car. Yep. Like, it's very rare that a pipe actually, like, goes through and um, is actually properly lined up with proper clearances. Like, that's why I'm so, I was so surprised with my car, even, with my MBRP catback. Yeah. That actually fit rather well. Yeah, so I get this in just things are weird it's like sitting up a little high and the original mount isn't working quite quite right so i'm trying to kind of figure it out get it back together and the mount that i actually pulled out of there wasn't torn the mount that was torn was actually the passenger side one Mm. but all three mounts in that car were interchangeable which is really cool so i just took the mount that i just pulled out that was still good and i was like okay i'll go throw this good mount in the passenger side because i'm already torn down enough to just quickly get it and as we're trying to do this I notice even more things are not right because the engine's like forcing itself back against the other mount. So it's a pain in the ass to get on the two studs and the big old bolt that goes to the engine and everything. And we fight with this for like an hour. And then I realize as I'm looking at the front of the car, hang on, that engine's sitting up way too high to clear my hood. Oh. Something's not right. Oh. And then I realize I I installed that engine mount up front upside down. Because they... Well done. Yeah. <laughs> the way these engine mounts are is they're just, they're completely um, the same all the way around. They can go left, right, up, down. They, you could literally, um, it with this engine mount, mount it at any direction because it doesn't have a stud. It just has a bolt that goes through. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I mounted it with like the uh, um, area that the bushing is going, going up, but that's supposed to go down. Mm. So it raised the front of the engine by like three inches and was Jesus kind of forced, forcing everything back. That's why we don't rush things. <laughs> no, we didn't rush things. There was just zero instructions, zero pictures. There's no reference. Were there any, any arrows on it? Nope, not at all. Interesting. No no instructions, pictures, nothing of any kind. I yeah. even scoured the internet just to make sure. Yeah. So I put it like that because that's how the original mount looks with it sticking up like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a fairly logical thing to think of in the moment, but then once I realized that, flipped it over everything went together so much easier yeah and i nvh actually wasn't that bad really funny enough um so i I got it all back together and we took it out for a drive with me and carson and even like tyson and coulter were also here so we loaded up the car with four individuals to see how it would do with really weighed it down yeah (laughs) well some of them are larger lads yes exactly and so it did very well nvh is really only present at idle when you're once the uh, once there's load on the engine, it goes away. Yeah, interesting. It's smooth, huh? Uh, it was yeah. I was 
quite pleased. Um, and, it, and the NVH at idle is not bad. Well, depending on what you're doing after this, maybe you could go for a rip. I brought uh, yeah. film cameras. Oh, sweet. So It's dirty right now. I went through mud. It's got mud splattered up the I side. mean, I'm shooting on film. It'll look cool. Yeah, it'll look great, yeah. <laughs> no, and especially with its chunky snow tires right now, it'll look purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still getting notifications, by the way. Of? Uh, just like from like my computer waking up. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's, it's still saying like YouTube has been upgraded, updated in the background. I keep getting that. I keep getting like YouTube notifications. Oh my god! Stop <laughs> it! Jesus Christ! <laughs> We've been recording for how long? Fifteen minutes? Yeah. <laughs> and it's still waking up. Yeah. So like, hold on, I got more to say. It's a slow Sunday morning. Uh, well, so I mean, well, uh, to finish that out, like yeah. that all got done. Works great. Car runs honestly better and feeling more together than it has in a while i'd love to feel it from side seat yeah and so it it makes me really excited and coulter actually drove it because mm. uh, i tried to get carson to drive it has but he driven it before nope he had never even ridden in it before coulter had no wow i was surprised um so um he got to he rode in it first while i tested it out and then he drove it and he's like man he's like this is fun. I was like, yeah, what I love about that car is that car is a prime example of how it has a top speed of 130, and that's if you're absolute pinned, but it makes like just around town driving zippy and fun. Yeah. It's a prime example that like old car, old car fun doesn't equal fast. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no. It's actually the opposite, uh, mm -hmm. generally. Um, I mean, so we have Coulter, who we've talked about uh, before on the podcast. Um, yes. He has an Infiniti G35 that has been like a longtime family heirloom. Mm -hmm. um, and he got rid of a B6. Uh, sorry, I was about to say B5. But yeah. no, uh, B6 S4 manual wagon, mm -hmm. which was a pretty cool car. Um, real loud exhaust with the AK-47 tune on it, yeah. uh, <laughs> He, which has been sold. Um, and he is uh, kind of looking for the next like fun car because the G thirty five is just a daily, yeah, which is a great daily, honestly. It is. Um, and so you you take someone like that who's come from comfortable driving experiences that kind of remove you from the road. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is the drama and the uh, immersion of a really fucking loud 4.2 V8. Yes. Um, and a manual gearbox, which is... Uh, and that's one thing. Just because a car is a manual doesn't necessarily make it that much of a driver's car, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can be, but it's not always a given. Yeah. And then you throw him into a car that, yes, it's a, what, 32 or 3,500 pounds? Um, 35. It, like 3,500, basically. 34, 35? Yep. It's still lighter than either of his other cars. Yes. It's a short wheelbase. Uh, narrow, know, too. Narrow, plucky, uh, you know, plucky power band, uh, punchy turbo. Weird. Bunch of visibility. Weird, win you know, wraparound windshield visibility. Well, yeah, and, like, the know. doors are, like, super thin yep. like, com compared mm -hmm. to, you know, what he's used to. And, um, yeah, it's just a much more, like, rewarding driving experience. And that's why I've been trying to say, like... <laughs> I'm sure you, I'm sure the 400Z is great, and I'm sure like you know you like it as you know your Nissan fanboyism you know is to is to you. Yeah. Um, but there's there's other shit out there. Well, what's, right. And and actually, yeah. I I I think like if you wanted if you just wanted a new car that he doesn't have to worry about any kind of maintenance or reliability or any of that kind of stuff, but he wanted it to be a fun daily, I do think the Type R would be great for him. However, yes. Um, I think he needs to drive my car. 
I think that would because be my car would be a really great middle ground and um, I guess a forward evolution of your Saab. Kind of, yeah. Because um, front wheel drive, turbo, manual, rewarding yeah. driving experience. Uh, hatchback. You know, hatchback, real fun in the corners. It's actually even more funny because my car and your car aren't that far off of color-wise. They're not. <laughs> you, you just need some gold wheels. Yes. <laughs> I'll do those gold. Yes. <laughs> anyway, yes. That would look bitch. That would be fire. Yeah. That'd be straight fire. Um, I was actually going to update, speaking of his car well, search, because I have information on oh, that. Oh, okay. We'll do that, and I, I want to talk about something, too, but go ahead. Yeah. Um. He actually, so last week we mentioned he drove a Genesis, and then we talked about that for a bit. Um, this week he actually drove a uh, TLX Type S. And? Um, he did like it. He thought it was... Uh, it is the opposite of the, everything that I was just talking about, but it is. go off. <laughs> yeah. So he said, I think it's an amazing car. Definitely a car I, I would think about more. Um, and then who knew car shopping would be so hard? But then he... Uh, there are entire podcasts dedicated to people buying cars, but... Yes. He yes. um, was mentioning like Type S or Type R are definitely high on the list. He's like a. He asked me an interesting question, which was, "What got you um, to do a new car that wasn't a manual?" Because he's, I'll put it this way, he's not a manual leadist jerk, but he very much has enjoyed a row your own. Understandable, like as we as you know, car people are into. Yes. Yeah. So I I responded with like what I think is you know very similar to both mine and your opinion on modern manuals. I said, really, modern manuals honestly aren't as good feeling-wise compared to older ones, um, and modern automatics are much better than what you're used to with even your Infinity, let alone anything even older. Um, that and the fact Both that... Infinities and Auto? Yep. Ah, because they did offer those sedans and stick, too. Yes. But Yep, so his is an Auto. Um, that, um, and, and I also described, this was me referring to the Stinger, um, that and the fact that when I bought the Stinger, I was doing so much driving for a while that, quite frankly, I wanted to avoid a manual at all costs because of just how much miles I was putting on him. And then the Tacoma was pointless to be a manual because not only are they not good manuals, but it's mm -hmm. a work vehicle that that stays running all the time. Right. I don't want to trust a parking brake. Mm -mm. Anyways, so, and, and that kind of got me thinking, like, yes, like, manuals are disappearing from modern cars. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, though, because just most modern manuals aren't that great compared to things like look at the nsx's we drove i know i haven't driven an s2000 well, a, a lot of a lot of money was put into that car as you and i both know yeah uh, with with how it is to drive um i would say i think it's a, it might be a little unfair to say most manuals most modern manuals aren't that good um yeah. modern vw manuals are not exactly great especially those that's the that's the prime example yeah but. yeah um Volkswagen and BMW manuals aren't that great. I'm trying to think of the best modern. I mean, okay, let's play this game here. Where do you draw the line of man of modern? Are you saying 2010? That yeah, I think that would be 2010 fair. or 2015. 2010 to newer. Um, so like any. I like my car. I mean, I'm biased. Yeah, but I think my my car is uh for those that are listening that might not know who i am um i have a 2016 fiesta st mm -hmm. and that it, it, it's 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 fun and cheeky in its own kind of light way um the, the nice thing about hatchbacks and like uh hot hatchbacks in particular is that the inputs are they're just light yeah they're just easy um they, they talk to you or at least my car talks to me yeah but it's still it doesn't require you know tons of effort 
in, say, steering or in braking or in shifting or my clutch, uh, sh- clutch or shifter. So I'm not going to say that the Fiesta ST is the greatest shift uh, shifter, <laughs> no. but the, the Civic Type R, actually, I, um, the outgoing, so what, the FK8, I think is what it was called, mm-hmm. um, like the 20, what, 16, 17, 18, whatever, yeah. uh, Type R, that was great. The Focus RS was really good. Um, I'm trying to think of modern, of other modern manuals because, like, I could also say like the 997 GT3 is probably one of the best shifters I've ever felt ever. True. S2000 is up there. NSX is up there. Um, but those are older. Yeah. Because they made the S2000 up until 09, uh, so that's out. I'm trying to think of other like truly great manuals because like the M2, no. Um, I mean, even like, um, Oh, I lost you. Uh, I, I heard that. Maybe it's this mic. You think so? Is that a new cable? That, yeah. Sorry, people. We were having some technical difficulties. I guess. If and you I'm wanna... back. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Well, we have a backup for you, I yeah, guess. I guess we'll, uh, I this. Whenever it's done this, it's stayed going. I'm trying to think. So that one is, uh, we got that We got that one from Cole, right? Mm-hmm. And this one was from the other guy? Yep. Gotcha. Interesting. It's possible. But what's funny is that it rarely ever, like, unplugs or anything. And it only ever does it with this. It, so maybe it's even this input. So after we're done with this, I might even just try swapping to a different input on the board. It could uh, be the board. Maybe. Which that's that's real easy. We've got plenty of them. <laughs> that's true. I mean, also the more that you plug in and, and unplug that, yes, is wear and tear. Yes, but it has never done it on my solo at all. Okay. Anytime it's been, but it there. might be a matter of time too. Could be, but um, might just be better just to buy a proprietary one for that room. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Or use this. Yeah. Or something. Because um, this, um, I've had this going for like six hours in that room. Never had troubles. Interesting. So I'm pretty sure it's just input one on this board. I'll move it over after this. But anyways, um, as far as the... Best ma- best current manuals. I, I Even like... Um, we, we don't drive that many like newer... Co- I mean, th- this next year, um, I'm going to be making a push to do weekly content, which in the winter is going to kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay, well, mm, modern manuals. Does the R8 count? I would say so because most of it sits like 2010 and newer as far as its era. Um, uh, it yeah, a couple years prior. because the last uh, Eric Deitz's uh, Nardo R8, which is the last manual production R8, yeah, V8 or V10, I believe. I think his was the the last one was a 2014. Yes, so that still counts. You know, gated manual. I mean, it's a, it's an old tech, it's it's old technology, but um, I, I suppose it falls under. Uh, I mean, do, well, so yeah, do you have anything to add to that? So, like, I was looking, I was thinking through some of the cars we've driven. So that R8 is one. The RS4 barely doesn't make the cut, but that wasn't the. I mean, it was a good manual, but it wasn't necessarily the best either. I think that's one car that would benefit from. Some- it's it's better. It's I would call it better than. Uh, it, it it it's above like a Mark Seven manual. Agreed. Oh yeah, it's better. It, it's on the better end of the scale, uh, but not necessarily great. Um, yeah. But that car also doesn't really make a 2010 cut. That was really a 2005 chassis that ended in 2007-8. Um, and that's still outside of our 2010 prerequisite. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- what other mo- manual modern cars? So I was thinking of, um, you know, we did drive 
uh, Arias's Roush Mustang, because more or less those have the same transmission that they did back in 2011, like that car did. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the MT82 is also a terrible gearbox yes. for you know crunching third. Yes. So I mean that one has its own problems and like is decently clunky as far as shift goes, but not necessarily the greatest. It's, you feel a little lost in the weeds when you're going through it. You can. Sometimes. You can. Um, GT350 was good. Um, 997 was pretty good. Or 992. Um, uh, not great, but mm, I'm saying it wasn't bad. It was kind of gummy. Yeah, it, it was, I think, suffers from similar issues to, again, like the Volkswagens, just a little more tightened down in Porsche size, you know? Where you, you, it doesn't really feel as direct as you expect. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously several that we haven't driven. We have, the newest Type R, of course, we haven't driven because um, that just came out. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, there's actually a funny story about um, embargoing. Uh-huh. I don't. Have you heard anything about this? No. So uh, I'm an avid listener of the Smoking Tire, which is where this is going to be my source for this. Uh, yeah. This news. But there uh, were content creators. So okay, so Matt and Z- I think Matt and Zach, or just Matt, was going to do a, a one take of it. Yeah. Um, th- he they had it actually at um, Road and Tracks uh, car, like performance car of the year test, and it was there, but they weren't even allowed to take photos of it or even mention its existence. It just showed up. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, then after that, Honda did uh, a press event during uh, Austin's F1 at Coda. Okay. And people were driving it and filming it, and they released, and they were they had their own separate embargo that they were releasing. So the guys like the Straight Pipes, yeah, did a review. Okay. And got to release their content and their embargo. So then Matt is over here like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. And it's not even just because, like, he's getting hosed on, you know, potential revenue from, you know, YouTube and stuff. Or, like, mm-hmm. you know, Google Ad Rev. Um, but it's not just him. But it's like, hey, we have, like, these. there are other people that were, like, shown this car. And told and, they couldn't do anything. And, yeah. And there's this whole other embargo that, like, they already had, you know, drives and reviews planned that are set for, like, the middle of the month. Jesus. So, like... What the fuck? <laughs> Sounds like there was a mix-up in the marketing department. Like There ba- was definitely a fuck-up. Yeah. yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Like, a lot. Yeah. So, um, it's always interesting when, like, new um, hyped-up cars, you know, come out. They're, like, what I've been noticing over the past definitely few years, at least, there kind of seems to be a fuck-up or something to put a sour taste in everyone's mouth, whether it's dealer markup or um, a fuck up in like embargoes being released or like, you know, just r- random things or like, you know, uh, car companies releasing launch co- colors on their cars in like fucking weird and ugly colors. Like yeah. when the, I mean, the new M4 is still fucking ugly. It doesn't matter what color you put it in. doesn't matter what aftermarket body kit you use because none of them are good. No. Um, but like the acid green or acid yellow on that and also that, really heinous yellow that nissan put on the 400z yeah that was not a good color it's like an off i've seen it i've actually seen that car in blue before and it looks really really good yeah that like off tennis ball yellow that was the launch color was right yeah yeah a little weird yeah not great um so there kind of always seems to be something but let's uh rope this back in though of like really great modern manuals i mean it's few and far between it seems i'm curious to drive our good buddy nate's uh 
992 GT3 because yeah. that is a different gearbox. Um, it's, so th- for those that are listening and might not know, uh, the 992 generation uh, in the Carrera, well, Carrera S, you can't get a base Carrera in manual anymore. Yeah. But um, the Carrera S, you can get in a seven-speed manual uh, and also um, an eight-speed uh, PDK. Okay. Well, the... 992 GT3 you can get in the the OG not the OG but like the, the outgoing like 991 GT3 uh 6 speed. Yep. And I believe it's an 8 speed PDK. I'm I'm going to google that actually. Um 992 GT3 PDK. I I haven't like paid much attention to that. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Let's see what Car and Driver has to say about this. Um, I've heard good things. So Justin is scrolling through a Car and Driver article about modern manuals. Yeah. Um, the Avora, probably. Probably. We know a guy with an Avora. Yeah. And um, I'm probably going to hit him up, actually, to do a review on that nice. uh, this year. I would say it's a fair call because low tide generally have had pretty good manuals. Uh, the Elises, the shift linkage has a tendency to stretch yeah <laughs> and, and those get kind of weird um i haven't heard anything about the avora yeah doing that but um anyways you've pulled up a list aston martin vantage m3 m4 which is the same shit uh i've heard good things about blackwing yeah i know that even matt had good things to say about the blackwings mm-hmm. like that it was really solid uh, yeah. both the ct4 and ct5 mm-hmm. camaro of course some people i think it was jason camisa was driving uh he preferred the four to the five because gotcha. the five is just too much well yeah it's a lot it's a lot um chevy spark interesting i forgot that that was still made with a five speed. i forgot it was still made i know <laughs> <laughs> um challenger and yeah, the Challenger, which is outgoing as of this year. Yeah. Um, Mustang, of course, we already mentioned that. Civic. Um, I know that you can get, it's not just the Type R, you can still get some of the 1.4s. Uh, with well, it. well, that's it pictured as an SI. Yes. So, And I've heard good things about the, the SI manual. So, okay, there is that. Elantra. Elantra, yep. You can get the Elantra N in a manual? I guess so. I thought it was their dual clutch only. Wait, uh... Yeah, turbo N line to, to uh N line and N. Can you click on that? Uh, I just want to do some diligence here. Um Okay, there we go. I'm still searching this car and driver article and it's not very good. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Uh, um guys. How hard is this to tell me how many gears are in the PDK? So yeah, it looks like the entry level engine is only available with the CVTs. Like the, it was the regular launcher, not the N or the N line. Um, then engine transmission and performance. Um, obviously, the hybrid is going to be with. The I CV- don't care about the, yeah exactly I just care about just, the N, and that's what I'm scrolling. I'm pretty down. sure the N is D, is dual clutch only. Interesting. Be a pretty grave error for a car and driver to make uh, to, to be promoting that the Elantra N um, right you know can have a manual when it cannot. Um, there we go. 2022. Okay, the um, PDK for the 992 GT3. I should have known this, but it is still a seven speed. I wasn't sure okay. if they went up to the eight. Uh huh. Um. Oh wait, wait, wait. Go back up. Oh yeah, huh? It just it doesn't say anything about it. They talk about the diff, but they don't talk about. I know the gearbox. I'm uh, I am quite sure. Uh. That it's a dual clutch only. And the fact that they're hiding 
that that's not in a manual is also a hint. It's mighty sus. Yeah. Also, yeah. So we'll just go with that. Keep going. Whatever. And then um, where's the next button? That's an interesting one. Uh, I think. Uh, oh, there we go. Yeah. Six-speed manual right there. Holy shit. Jesus Christ. Yeah, six-speed okay. manual and then the uh, eight-speed dual clutch. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so, okay, Elantra N and N line, that took, that took some digging. It did. Um, Veloster um, and I, I, Veloster I've, N. I've driven Randall's car. It's fine. Yeah. It's kind of a hybrid of manuals, uh, like an overlap between a Mark 7 GTI and my car. Okay. It's fine. It's not great. It's functional. Yeah. yeah. Uh Kia Forte, not surprised because probably that, similar. That's probably that's actually the same gonna be the same transmission as the Veloster. I was gonna say it's probably the similar feel. Um Mazda three. I, I thought they had ditched that already. Oh you know what? No, I have I do know somebody that had a manual Mazda three. So there I think you would of have that, to, of the current gen? I think yes. Okay. You would have to custom order him then though. Oh really? I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure he had to custom order his. Miata, not you know, we know that that's Miata, a, that's also a, a that's yeah. That that is a great manual. I should have thought about that. Yeah, but but the ND Miata is solid. And then there's Mini, which I find funny because I don't know if you've seen the stuff floating around with Mini, how they've like gone back and forth as to whether they will continue to offer manuals. Well, it, they only have manuals in their base cars. All all the fun shit are uh, torque converter autos. They're not even dual clutches. Yeah, that's because their dual clutch when they tried it was horrendous. <laughs> uh, was that on early R56? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. So. Mini's gone back and forth, but it seems like they might be sticking with it because they've started offering free courses to anybody that buys a manual to teach you okay. good driving things. That's good to see car manufacturers are still doing um, those, like the owner programs. Yep. Oh, the, the Mitsubishi Mirage still exists. Oh, boy. <laughs> and we're going to scroll past that. Anyways. And the Versa. <laughs> yeah, it came in, in Boxster and like, you know, GT4 and all that. And there's a 911. BRZ. Didn't forget about the BRZ. Um, I've only ever driven one of the older ones, not any of the newer ones. I've driven a, a few of the older ones. I drove uh, an E85 one. Um, this dude drove out from Florida in his E85. Like this. Okay. So apparently this this guy named Jeff. Yep. He put like thirty grand into, like, aftermarket, like, into the car, into the car, yeah, while still keeping it naturally aspirated. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah, the car drove really nice. Okay, that's you, a lot. That's a lot. Like, <laughs> I'm, we're talking carbon fiber drive shaft. We we're, we're talking about. Um, it, also, they had a fuckload of miles. It had like 130 thousand miles or 140,000 miles and it looked fucking mint nice um didn't feel like it at all um and you know that's part of that is probably going through all the tires and the, and the car you know the high-end wheels that he's had and brakes and all the consumables and all that stuff but that's it was yeah something like 25 or 30 grand and like in parts yeah Anyways, um, he drove that out from Florida to here to have the Everyday Driver guys do a review of it. And that video is actually live right now. They compared. So Everyday Driver drove their current gen uh, 86 mm -hmm. against that car. And actually, no, that, it was, that was a GR86, not a BRZ, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and they compared those two against a 944 Turbo. Oh, okay. Front engine, rear wheel drive, manual, rough, similar power outputs. Four cylinder. Yes. Yep. Yeah, because those, those are two and a half liter four cylinders. Yep. Just in a different orientation. And a very different era. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and like Paul, is, you know, he has a 928. Yeah. That he bought, uh, what, 18 months ago or two years ago? Yeah. Um, 
And so they're probably going to hark back to that. I haven't watched the review yet, but yeah. Um, anyways, BRZ. That counts. Okay, keep going. And Impreza. Unfortunate. Yes. WRX. Yes. And no STI because it's now gone. Correct. Um, Corolla. But I also th- I and think- And the GR Corolla is going to have it. Yes. I think as far as the base Corollas, though, I think this is the last year. I think they did announce that yeah. this was the last year the manual will be available on so, base Corolla. So, so what? GR86. Yeah, exactly. GR86. Golf. Golf. Well, they don't make the Golf anymore. It's just GTI and Golf R now. Yep. So that's even that's going to be well. And they even mentioned that right here. I mean, I guess they so, get, the, the the Golf goes to Europe. We ju- we just don't get it. Exactly. Um, Jetta, because mm-hmm. you can't especially you can get GLIs. Yeah, Bronco. Yeah, true. I actually. Yeah, they're actually pretty good. It actually, felt very similar to mine. Yeah. No, I was actually surprised when I drove Easton's. Like this is. For a truck chassis manual, because it is on a fr- body on frame, it is technically a mini truck. Yeah, as far as frame is concerned, it is. Yeah, it actually feels pretty good. Yeah, and I didn't drive his, but I uh, hopped in just the driver's seat at Park City Cars and Coffee once, and like I felt the shifter, and it felt pretty good. It felt pretty yeah, good. the clutch was actually really predictable too. I would I would agree with your assessment that it's very similar to your feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe a little bit more uh, rigid. A little more rigid, yeah. yeah. It was a little stiffer than yours. Yours is a little, like, sometimes a little light. Um, yeah, but, which is part of the point. Exactly. So, yeah, there's that. Um, but I think that's it. Um, like, that being said, if we look at this list, so... It's not a lot. It's not a lot. Jetta and Golf are the same transmission. Like, look at... if You could probably half this list, if you think about it, because half of this list are cars with different models that share the same Mirage. power train. So... Well, also cars that are just genuinely not interesting. Yes, uh, exactly, like Mirage and Spark. Mirage, Spark, and I would argue, argue Corolla. Corolla is important because they just move a bunch of numbers, but they're not interesting. Yeah, and then if you look at the like GR86 and the Subaru share the, share the same transmission, all of the Koreans share the exact same manual with minor differences. They are identical. Mm. Okay. Um, so, like same gear sets? Yes, I believe so. Interesting. Because um, it's all just made off the same platform, same transmission, everything. I think the only difference... They with, pulled a Volkswagen. Yes. The only difference is going to be the diff. That's where their differences are. Mm. Is like, their differences? Ha, ha, ha. Like the base Elantra versus an Elantra N, it's different clutch and diff. But the actual internals, it is the same code. Mm. Um, Interesting. So you could cut this list in half effectively if like half of these cars... Which is sad. ...share the same shit. Yeah, it is sad. Um, it's sad, but it's kind of the end of an era, and we're literally witnessing that as it happens, because it's been every Which year... Which is very strange. It is. Uh, every year, the list gets smaller and smaller to where we're under 30 cars now. Yeah. And it is a saddening thing, but... As we've just gone through, also this they list. didn't. They did not mention the Lotus Amira, which is upcoming. So I don't know if it technically counts. Uh, when was this article released? Because they mentioned like the current WRX. They mention Blackwing. They mention uh, Elantra N. So it's somewhat 2022 April. So okay, okay. It's about so. six months outdated at this point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess if they do this next year, the the Amira is probably going to be in there, and the Type R is going to be in there, and the Challenge will be off, and you know, like yeah, be a few drops at the same time. Yeah, that's true. Um, it really well. This opens the door for boutique manufacturers like Gunther Works and Singer Very to much. to really keep charging more money because you there those are experiences that you can't buy new anymore you have to buy an old car and do shit to it they are literally now boutique even they already they, were they, they've but, always been boutique yeah but, but like know, and that's the part of the thing that's going to drive up prices of you know mark four supras and r34 gtrs and like they provide an experience that you can't buy new anymore so you have to buy something that has already gone through its production cycle 
Except yeah. you're going uh, – that forces you to go to a product that is a limited commodity. Exactly. And uh, it, it's one of those weird things where I have mixed feelings because there's – if we look at going through this list, there's so few of these that are probably truly good-feeling manuals. Um, mm -hmm. It's probably half or less of the list um, that – you know, versus you did have quite a selection for quite a long time when manuals were still better than their automatic equivalents in a lot of standpoints. I mean, it took until dual clutches got good. Yep, exactly. And, which uh, happened just before the ZF8 speed, uh, you know, came out. And stole some thunder back from the dual clutches. Right, but also um, the Supra that yep. has a ZF8 speed is going to be, it's already released and there have already been drives of them uh, in manual. The six, yeah. they brought they're bringing back the six speed for that so that's cool which i think is cool and i and i hope that it continues to stay alive for at least a few more years with things like that or like even the mini thing like offering to teach people manual to show yeah. them how to drive their manuals yeah i think that's really cool um i would make a prediction here and now that we have less than a decade left of that looking at how many flies have dropped well, and there i've heard people talk about like who do you think is going to be the last car company that's going to offer a manual in their cars and i believe is porsche probably because they saw the resurgence of when they well they saw what happened with uh their owners when they dropped the manual from the 991.1 gt3 and how people got booty bothered when the turbo lost its manual with, uh, during 997.2 and then the 911r fiasco where that was supposed to be you know the the, the manual, last the manual gt3 uh -huh. and then they brought back the manual gt3 with the 991.2 i know we're kind of off in the weeds with you know generation codes here but bear with me <laughs> realistically uh the tldr is they toyed around with the idea of getting rid of the manual in favor of just pdk and it didn't go well no um it would and which is interesting because you can't buy a 911 turbo anymore, but the 911s, their base 911s are turbocharged, and you can get, you know, a Carrera S in manual, and you can also get a 991.2. So the previous generation of 911, you could get a base manual of those. Yep. And you can tune them shits and make them as fast as a 997 turbo. Yeah. Or faster, and you have a manual. So. It's an interesting place to be with that, but I do believe that of all the people or of all the brands to you know keep on beating the manual driving drum, yep. it's going to be Porsche. And I'm actually surprised, to be honest, that Volkswagen has even continued to offer a manual, really, at this point. Because, well, Volkswagen, for those that are maybe the uninitiated, yeah, uh, pioneered the, the hot hatchback. They did. So, um, I mean, the real, I think the real OG, I think, was something from Renault. I think probably the R5. Yeah. Uh, that might have potentially predated it. Uh, could you want to check that, actually? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Jamie, um, pull that up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Justin, pull that up. <laughs> um, I'm just literally going to search first hot hatchback and see if it pulls up. It's going to say GTI, probably. That's just the history. I'm actually not going to do that one. Um Hot hatch. The Mini Cooper. I wouldn't call that a... That's not a hatchback. Um, uh, no. Well, what, what, what's, what's under the people ask? People ask, what's the first hot hot hatchback car? The first thing. Oh, people uh, People also ask. Up. Up. Th th there. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> what does, is... Does, does anyone know what a 1973 Simca 1100 Ti is? Uh, if you do... Uh, get at us in the DMs if at you do, you, speed .com. If you do, you definitely live in Europe. <laughs> yeah, yes. I don't know what the fuck that is. Um, um, 
I mean, m- most of them are saying GTI, because I guess it depends 85. on... 85? Uh, look up a, a Renault R5 and see what the production for that was. I wasn't sure if it was before. I thought it was. Okay. Renault R5, 1972. But it, I guess it depends on what you define as a hot hatch, because... R5 it, Turbo. R5 Turbo. Okay, I'll search that. Because if it wasn't hot yet, but it was a hatchback... Uh, yeah, it doesn't count. I mean, because the original GTI had 84 horsepower. 80 to 84. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm, so that's what I'm saying. But how limited was that production? That might be the other it was factor. A, it was a homologated car. Okay. Um, it, it was homologated for rally, but... Uh, I'm wondering if most people don't include that in the list then because it well, wasn't... It didn't come know, here. It didn't come here, and it also wasn't like fully-fledged production quote unquote because there's probably limited number i mean that doesn't i mean what's what's your cutoff for that i don't know if there is one that all i'm saying is looking at how many lists we just scrolled through because gt3s are also like limited yeah or they or they they used to be uh i mean what's can you find production counts for this because i would say that this counts i would agree um i'm just wondering if that's why a lot of they weren't such a sales success partially because they weren't sold here and um you know, people might have, you know, liked the form factor. I mean, this is also a mid-engine car. Right here. A thousand, a thousand um, for GT3 or for Group 3 homologation with an eye of building an additional 3,000 factory U.S. models for sale, but I don't think that ever happened. Okay. Um, so, like, okay, I-, I can see that low of a number being like, okay, it's not a regular production car because it's, like, not something you could just go buy at a random dealership. That might be why a lot of people omit it is because it wasn't just... As standard. Well, things also happen differently in Europe too with with buying cars. Yes, buy, but the whole industry, you know. So I'm wondering if that's why it's omitted from so many lists because most of the lists we just scrolled past as I was reading well, through it's, them. It's also not GTI. the easy. It's not the easy answer. Exactly. Whereas most people just go for the easy answer of the oh, it's a Mark One GTI. Yeah, because I mean it. It makes sense. There's so many of those comparatively speaking. Sure. You know that that is the easy answer. Yeah. I would say that to me. Well, what's I, the fastest car in the world? Yeah, that's, the Bugatti Chiron. Yeah, exactly. Well, is it? Sort of. Yeah. Um, same. Th- th- no, same I'm with thing. you on this. I would, I would agree that this counts because it was sold to the general public. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's why some so many people have omitted it. Is between, it probably is between easy answer and technically limited production. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, the GTI wasn't ever technically limited, especially in the first run. Like it was just, oh, how many can we sell? Yeah. Um, but that being said, I actually just had a funny thought. Like my Saab Saab Turbo predates all these, <laughs> but it's not really a hatchback. That's the thing. It kind of is. It's but it's it, but it it didn't like fit into the category of it, hot hatchback. It wasn't marketed that way. No, and it's a lot longer. It's it's this weird. I've always described it as it's this weird middle ground meeting of sports car, luxury car, hatchback, like kind of just formed into one, but somewhat sedan like at the same time. It's a very odd thing. Yeah, there's not like you. Yes, it's not. <laughs> there's not really a category that it easily fits in. Yeah, at all. Uh, I mean, it had like it had heated seats in 1979 when like that was a, like an S class level feature. Mm-hmm. It had you know, like I said, electronic boost control. It had all these crazy things, but then like it wasn't like a handling car, but it had power, but it wasn't a hot hatchback, but it had a massive. Tra- Anyways, but it's weird. a front engine transverse. Longitudinal. longitudinal. Oh, I'm sorry. It was longitudinal. Yeah. yeah. Front engine. Well, it's longitudinal, but backwards. Yes. And upside down. It's longa backwards. Yes. yes. <laughs> Anyways, but um, getting back on track here, 
where did we, how did we get here? <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll call this podcast. How did we get here? Yes. Yeah. No, we came uh, we came from uh, manuals and just started going backwards. Yeah, and, I mean, we tangent, which is why yeah. we have a podcast. Uh, and um, I think with the legacy of the manual and everything, I do think being like, I stand by what I said, that I think it will probably be almost dead within 10 years. And I agree, Porsche will probably be one of the last ones standing. Yeah. Because Ferrari and Lamborghini have ditched it entirely. Yep. Uh, if we're talking about like boutique manufacturers, right? Uh, Aston is still keeping it going, but barely. Yep. Uh, do we even know what that trans is from? Because the engine. So what's interesting where Aston's at right now, the four liter turbo that's in there is from the AMG GT. Yep. Uh, the AMG GT uses Mercedes' own dual clutch, and Aston, I believe, uses ZF uh, Auto. So they don't mention what transmission it is, but let me go to the actual like yeah. article and see. Um, don't know what it's actually from, but um, Aston uses the torque converter auto, and Mercedes uses a, a dual clutch, which is why they kind of did it that way. They wanted to have the Mercedes, like the original thing that had that, yeah. be its own thing and have Aston kind of be its own thing. Because Aston has always been more luxury anyway. Like, they've been exotic and they've been sporty, yeah. but they haven't been, like, really focused driver's cars, right? So they don't need to be as snappy as, say, something like a Porsche. No, they've been more GT-esque. They've always been that way, yeah. yeah. Um, um, so that didn't say at all. So Aston Martin Vantage... Uh, it's gonna pull up the the true, yeah. the last one probably, but um, um, let's see. That, that's the difficulty, which is also one of the fucking prettiest cars ever made. It is. Aston has always, for the most part, for the past twenty years, knocked it out of the park. Well, because they had one car for twenty years. <laughs> that's why. Fortunately, <laughs> that car aged well. It, it did. Um, it did. I, I guess you can give them credit for that. Like they may have kept the same damn thing for twenty years, but like that car doesn't look that dated. It looks very good. Which is what, and I think that's also why, when the new Vantage came out, what in twenty nineteen? Yeah. Um. That's also one of the things that I feel like they kind of drop ball on. I mean, Aston has been in a weird place for the past few years with uh, I mean, ownership and uh, people running the company. Well, and I mean, now they're you know owned by different people, but buying engines from AMG and then you well, know. Well, there's that, but there's also the people running the shit. Like they've they've changed hands recently too, of like bosses. Yeah, I'm curious. I wouldn't be so. It's a seven speed manual. That's what's weirding me out is that it's a seven speed manual, and but like the only person I know that makes a seven speed manual is Porsche, and it's obviously not no, that. Well, so Porsche uh, makes one. Uh, Corvette had one. Oh yeah, Corvette did. Um, Aston had a, a dogleg seven speed in the previous gen uh, uh, Vantage V12s, and I think they have one in their in their current one too. It's going to make for great radio people. I know. No, I'm just genuinely curious. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean. This I, is the problem with just randomly Googling shit. I, I know. It really makes me wonder um, who actually makes this. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Getrag, just because that is probably a local company over there. Probably. Um, that is, honestly, at this point, one of the last, um, like, transmission manufacturers that will make kind of quote-unquote bespoke transmissions for something like this because that AMG does not come with a manual. No. Mercedes hasn't made a manual no, they, since they, like 2005. Uh, it, it was like the SLK I think was the last car that we got here with the manual. They still You can still get them in Europe, but um, 
Yes. If yeah, you, if if, if you the listener know um, <laughs> what the actual transmission is in the new uh, Aston Martin Vantage, please feel free to get at us. If you know us personally, you can I guess DM us. Uh, yeah. Or if you want to DM the show, we're at Exhibition of Speed on Instagram. Um, yeah, because I'd be genuinely but, curious. And if I find out between now and next week, I'll update. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can. I I'd be glad to have an addendum to this later. Agreed. Um. I did actually have one final funny thing to note since we've actually touched on Porsche several times. Mm. So we have a good friend of ours that we, uh, at one point in time, tried to film something with his 997 GT3, Ryan. Um, And he's a client of mine. He has a GT3 RS, a 991.2 GT3 RS that I detail occasionally. Well, he bought a 992 as a daily. Um, It was a 992 PDK. It was a Carrera. It's been riddled with problems, right? Oh, it's no more. What do you mean it's no more? It's been lemon lawed. Oh, so I don't know all of the specifics, but it basically came down to it had 9,000 miles when he bought it by 9,500 miles. It was in the shop with complete turbo failure. Yeah. Um, By 10,000 miles, it had complete infotainment failure. By 11,000 miles, it um, had multiple other electrical failures. Jesus it was Christ. a complete basket case. So it was lemon lot and then replaced with a Macan S. <laughs> Jesus. Um, He's just like, I want nothing to do with 992s anymore. Fuck this. Kind of, yeah. He's like, that's the first bad experience I've had with a Porsche. And he's had a few of them. Um, Yeah. You know, and he... (laughs) He still has his RS, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think he'll be getting rid of that. He's like, as tantalizing as the money is, I know I could never replace this car now if I sold it. Mm. Uh, Not for the price he paid for that is the main thing. What did he pay for it? I mean, it was like 180 or less. No, it, it, it was not much. It was sub two hundred. He got a killer deal. On Jesus, it. especially when it was only had thirty five hundred miles and was outfitted with those HRE wheels and like it was a, a PPF top to bottom. It, yeah, you know. I mean, he could, in theory, from from my understanding, I haven't driven new nine nine two GT three. Yeah, it would be more money. Yeah, um, especially with what markup is on those right now, but he could get he could overlap the experiences of. 997 GT3, which is what he had before, yep. and 991 RS, because I've heard as far as, like, ride quality and, like, sharpness with the car, like, with steering and with all that stuff, that the 991 GT3 is closer to what the outgoing... Sorry, 992 GT3 is closer to what the outgoing RS was rather than the outgoing GT3. It's everything, like, bumped up a step. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, well, because when 991 came out, they were like, we're going to probably sell a lot of these. We want to make them a bit more drivable, like, livable, like kind of like how the R8, you know, turned a bunch of other supercars into daily drivers. Yes. Um, so Porsche went in that direction, and then they kind of overcorrected, yeah. I think, and uh, started to go backwards. And they're like, oh, let's make this hardcore again and make it more of an occasion thing. But yeah. if he got a manual GT3, he could kind of have the marriage of both of those cars. Yeah. yeah. In, in theory. In I theory. No, no, it's not my theory. money, though. So Yeah. <laughs> no, and, I, and also, to be clear, I don't know exactly what he paid. I just know from what he's told me, it was a killer deal, like a deal that he didn't think would exist yeah. um, at the time and that it's worth. I wouldn't be surprised if he got it for like two or 210 um, he knows he just said that either way he has um not far off six figures in equity in the car based on oh, current yeah. trading value. oh yeah um i mean he could he could straight trade that for a 991 or sorry 992 gt3 yeah which is nuts. which like but seeing as what crazy markup is right now like, i could see that happening yeah 
So anyways, I, I thought it was interesting that like uh, Porsches are generally very dependable cars for the most part, but like he, they, they've he had, always been like, even since the eighties, they've been like pretty robust. So to hear one get lemon lot is like, Oh fuck. Yeah. And <laughs> it, uh, it, you know, when he took it in for the first issue, they, they didn't try to say that he had caused it, but they're like, Oh, well, I mean, turbo failure doesn't usually happen. So like, we don't know if we'll warranty this is like, uh, you better sure as hell you will. It's only, I've only had it for a month. Yeah. And I bought it from you guys. And from he some, didn't track it. No, from somebody else. It's been daily driven. Like, yeah, <laughs> he that, bought it from some some well, rich girl in California. Well, it's interesting because our other friend, who I've driven a slew of his cars, and I've actually I did a review of his RS6. Yes. Um, he had a 992 uh, uh, 911S, uh, a Carrera 2S that had a seven-speed manual, and uh, he drives his cars pretty good, and we drove that car. Me, pretty good. me in particular, pretty good. <laughs> and uh, he had his for what a year? It was about a year. Yeah. It was about a year, and I hadn't ever heard anything come from that car. No, I mean even when it was only like a a month or so after the we he got the car when we did our shoot. Yeah, and I mean he <laughs> he did donuts like you know like on, a, a yabo. Yes, on on a causeway it, 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 on a causeway <laughs> in Mexico. Yeah, exactly, and you know. He, he's a combination of well, and also in the same day, the car also hit 172 miles an hour. Yes, <laughs> on said causeway. Exactly. He, he he's both he's he's degaff, but in a good way. Yes, you know, <laughs> not, yeah. not in a stupid way where he's pissing off everybody else, but degaff no. and like ah, we're gonna try this for the fun of it. Yeah, fuck it. Exactly. So, well, that being said, well, I wanted to talk about something, but I guess yes. We could, no. Well, how long have we been going for? We have been an hour. Let's just cut it here, and I'll save it for next week. You sure? Uh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Let's save it for next week. Um, I mean, okay. We, we need to do a better job of promoting our swag because uh, no one's bought yeah. any recently. So, uh, if you want to support the show, uh, feel free to head on over to www.exhibitionofspeed.com, and uh, there is a shop section where you can uh, buy some T-shirts, you can buy hats, you can buy stickers. There's an option to buy hoodies because guess what? Winter is upon us. It's gonna be in the lows up here in the single digits next week. So, uh, time to bundle up. Up and grab yourself some swag while you're at it. So, uh, yeah, head on over to exhibitionofspeed.com and grab yourself a hoodie or a hat. Or All a... conveniently shipped to your door. Yeah, what, $5 shipping? $5 shipping. It's which still $5 shipping? It's still $5 shipping, which, which, to be honest, was a little bit of a, uh, a thing to calculate because, like, shipping hats... Shipping everything else can just be stuffed in a bag. That's fine. Shipping hats, though, are, to, they're they're structural. Yeah, to not crush your hat, I literally ship them in boxes, which sometimes doesn't quite cover that five dollars shipping charge within about fifty cents or so. But I would rather have it get to your door in one piece, not crushed, right. than otherwise. Right. So therefore, your hat is not going to get crushed. Exactly. So uh, yeah, help help your boys out. Um, you know, buying those buying merch from us helps us directly uh, create more content because we can you know buy better gear and more gear and we can uh, afford to put gas in cars. So think of it like a Patreon, but you get something physical. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, people don't people also like ship out like merch and stuff for that too. They do, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, until next time, I've been Gavin and I've been Justin, and this has been the Exhibition of Speed Podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>